0: A listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast focused on the big wide world and every week we tackle something that is unfolding somewhere in the world, bit of intrigue, you know, politics. Dr. Keith Souter is an expert on international relations, a couple PhDs on the subject matter three. In fact, and also has been an Australian commentator for many decades on these issues in all sorts of Australian media. My name's Kate Mack. We've worked together as well for a number of years now. Dr Keith, governments just don't seem to learn lessons is what we're talking about this <laughs> week. It's quite poignant at the moment, I'd say.
1: Yes, it is. So, we, we, you know, we've been looking at Afghanistan over the last few months and the tragedy is in terms of government, not just Australia, not only in the state governments, but also Looking at the UK, United States, so these are the democratic governments, and they don't seem to be able to learn from history. They just keep repeating the same mistakes. So if you look at the context of warfare, what we're seeing in Afghanistan is a rerun of what we saw in Vietnam. And there seemed to me to be there. There are common characteristics. The uh, late Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense at the time of the Vietnam War, in one of his books said, "One of the problems for Americans is that we lack empathy. We cannot put ourselves." In the shoes of other people. So we don't understand the mindsets of other people. And so the Americans just sort of lurch from one crisis to the next. And so I've, I've been writing recently about whether or not governments can become learning organizations. So if you look at the world of business, we have now upskilled business considerably. We've, we've got all sorts of new techniques that are now used, and we are much more professional in the world of business. And the techniques that we use I'm particularly associated with the whole issue of scenario planning, encouraging people to think about the unthinkable. So these are basic business techniques that I think if we want to improve government, the government will need to take on board, but governments don't like that. An example of where I think government could learn is what the American Army, U.S. Army, now does, which is called the after-action review. You see it also in hospitals as well when they're reviewing an operation that perhaps did not go as well as it should have. And so the after-action review deals with four questions. What was expected to happen? What actually occurred? What went well and why? And what can be improved and how? So they are sort of basic questions. They're not to find fault with individuals. They're to look at the process and to ask the question, how can we improve the process? to make sure that we don't do this again. The problem I find working with politicians is that they're in the business of fault-finding and point-scoring. They're really not interested in learning big lessons. They just want to get one over on the opposition, which is one of the reasons why some people now are getting very disenchanted with the Western system of government. So what we're seeing in recent decades is the Western system of government really on trial, particularly among younger people, if you look at the Lowy Institute, based here in Sydney, when they do opinion polls of what do people um, like about democracy, what they don't like, there's a, a growing disenchantment with democracy. It's very worrying. And I, when I'm doing talkback radio, I get the number of people who just say, look at what they can do in China. They can build infrastructure. They can get railways to work. They can build big cities. We can't do that in Australia. We just seem to get bogged down, like whether or not we should build an extra airport in Sydney. That debate has got on for decades.
0: <laughs> That's extraordinary. I remember that as a kid. <laughs> so like, it would have been under 10. So that was yeah. the early 80s, like the 80s.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas China just builds so much more. There's a, a Graham Allison, that we, whom we've touched on in the, in this series before, who wrote a, a book on the Thucydides trap and the risk of a coming war between China and the United States. And there is a very good TED talk that he gives on the Thucydides trap, and he talks about the bridge near where his university is, which is Harvard, so it's Boston, and the how long it's taking to get the bridge repaired. And then he shows a video clip of an entire bridge being built in China over a weekend. no. <laughs> It's incredible. So obviously he speeds the film up, but he says this is what they're doing in a the weekend. They're building a bridge <laughs> in a week. And here at Harvard, we can't get the bridge built for years.
0: And because we're listening to people doing the right thing, playing <laughs> the politics game and in China. They don't care.
1: They don't care. They just get ahead and do it. And I, I, tragically, I'm finding a lot of people who are saying we need that Chinese system of government in Australia if we're going to get
0: things done. You can't if you're a democracy though, Keith. How can you do that if you're a democracy? You have to bulldoze people.
1: Well, does a democracy mean, though, that we have to keep lurching from one desire to the next? That's why I'm talking about learning in government now. You see, I'm trying to build up a knowledge base in the hope that we can get politicians to behave more sensibly. Now, some people would say, look, you're just being crazily optimistic. It's never going to happen. Politicians come in, uh, they've got their own agenda, their own view of the future. Yes, they will be blindsided by change. They will, they will be taken by surprise, but that's the nature of the political game, and we don't expect anything better. We just assume that we will just lurch from one crisis to the next, which is why I'm talking about creating a learning uh, organisation. I'm also talking about perhaps even creating a before-action review. In other words, before you conduct an operation, such as the invasion of Afghanistan 20 years ago, you actually go through and have a rational discussion uh, about what are the intended results, what are the potential challenges, what have previous after-action reviews shown in similar situations, Vietnam War, for example, and why should we think we'll be any more successful this time? So that is called a before-action review. So we've got an after-action review, which is a post-mortem on what happened, but there's also a before-action review which is where you stand back and say, let's bring in alternative points of view and let's just try to sort these things out, which should have been done, for example, before the invasion of Iraq in 2003. We know that there were members of the military in the United States, UK and Australia, and also members of the respective uh, foreign affairs departments, State Department. We know that there were experts who were saying, this is a crazy operation, Besides the fact the international community was saying there are no weapons of mass destruction there, that was a separate issue. I'm just talking about the sheer mechanics of saging an invasion. So the expertise was there within the system. President Bush, uh, Tony Blair in Great Britain, John Howard in Australia had all made their minds up and ignored that information. Now, you wouldn't run a modern company in that way. Or if you did, the shareholders would remove you. So we tolerate a level of behaviour in government that we don't tolerate in business
0: nowadays. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking about how governments learn from their mistakes or not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So what I'm arguing for then is that I would like to see all major projects that a government undertakes, there should be at the very least an after-action review, but also I would like to see a before-action review. Now, in the case of Afghanistan, that would have meant that they would need to have specific war aims. Are they going in there to get Osama bin Laden, in which case the project was completed in the first year, or are they going in to do nation-building, which is where you get all these people saying you've got to educate girls, uh, or are you there to eradicate uh, the growing of opium? What is the way of doing it? And so what I'm trying to do is to introduce a bit of creative thinking. One of the issues that I've raised in my writing on this is the, the whole issue of trying to be creative. See, back in 2001, and I'm on record because I was writing for the Melbourne Age and, and other newspapers. I'm on record on this issue. I was saying the Americans are walking into a trap. Whoever was smart enough to plan 9 was smart enough to know that he wouldn't get away with it for very long. And so he drew the Americans into Afghanistan in much the same way that the, the Americans had drawn the Soviet Union into Afghanistan in 1979. So Osama bin Laden was just giving the Americans a taste of their own medicine. And so I was taking the view. I might just say the idea of the trap, I, I'll reveal it on this program. I've never, in fact, I've even forgotten the name of the officer of concerned, but I was at a function. And uh, a very senior army officer spoke to me, we're going to walk into a trap in Afghanistan. He couldn't say that publicly, but he said, you as a member of the media, you can start using that expression. So it was this uh, person's uh, hint to me that got me thinking differently about the American operation in Afghanistan and the risk of walking into a trap. And that's what I started to write about without revealing the identity of the senior officer concerned. In fact, I've now long since forgotten the guy's name. But what is interesting is that I then said, well, look, if we're going to walk into a trap, how else could we get rid of bin Laden? Clearly bin Laden is a problem. And then I hit on the idea, and again, I I was in print on this 20 years ago. I said, look, uh, the Americans are offering $50 million reward. That's not enough. We should give half a billion dollars. To people to go in, get bin Laden, and we will promise them residency anywhere in the world. And for that sum of money, the Russian mafia or the Tajik mafia would have, would have gone looking for him because half a billion American dollars 20 years ago was serious money. Loose change compared with the actual cost of the war, which... Um, two trillion, was it? Two trillion. Some people have said it's three because you've got the continuing medical costs of military personnel, post-traumatic stress disorder... The Americans only stopped paying for the American Civil War, I think, in around 1920, even though the war finished in 1865. You're still paying for the descendants, the children, et cetera. So the cost of Afghanistan is going to run on for a few decades yet. So, yes, so half a billion dollars would have saved 2,500 American lives, 41 Australian lives. And that's an example, I think, of the creative thinking that you need in government. And it's very interesting. If you look at World War II and the the way the British behaved, the British are not normally seen as being creative, but World War II unleashed all sorts of creativity, obviously the way in which uh, they were able to spy on the Germans, the uh, Bletchley, uh, the Enigma material, which only came to light uh, since 1972, Group Captain F.W. Winterbottom writing his memoirs. So the British were innovative there, the creation of the Special Air Service, SAS, in North Africa by David Sterling. So the British were very creative in World War II, and they were creative in fighting the campaign in Malaya, now called Malaysia, in fighting the communist terrorists. The war was called the War of the Running Dogs, and they won. The British showed that you could win a war against guerrillas, but it took an awfully long time. So the lessons were all there. You've just got to be more creative. But nobody in the United States in 2001 was saying, let's look up the um, War of the Running Dogs. How did the British do things in Malaya in the 1950s and early 60s? It's interesting. I did find out after the Americans got bogged down in Iraq that a bestseller amongst US defence personnel was the uh, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, memoirs, talking about how he had fought in the Middle East and the, the Pillars of Wisdom book that he wrote which again talks about the need to win hearts and minds of people. And the Americans didn't learn that. The Americans, like the Soviets in Afghanistan, assume look we've got lots of money, we've got lots of modern military equipment, we don't need to worry about public opinion in those countries because we will just go over the top of them in, with our modern technology. The Soviet Union failed and then the Americans later on failed as well. So what I'm arguing for, therefore, is for governments, become learning organizations. Now, I work with public servants. I'm happy to work with public servants. And I find that they are willing to do good, dispassionate work. The problem is at the political level. And politicians just don't seem to be able to get their heads around this creative thinking. They're only in the business of point scoring, etc. And here, of course, I'm beginning to sound like a young millennial complaining about <laughs> democracy.
0: <laughs> Spousing their theories.
1: Exactly, because that's exactly what they're saying, that we've got governments run by amateurs. So it, it, what I'm arguing for, therefore, I, I realise I'm sounding very idealistic, but I'm just trying to introduce a bit of professionalism amongst the politicians. We've got it in the public service. Become, public service is now much more professional than it used to be, but we've got to bring about that culture change in the level of politics itself. That's a big challenge for us. Otherwise, we will end up with more and more alienated young people who are saying we ought to be governed like China is, which I think is a frightening thought.
0: Oh, God, yes. And they really should go to China and experience life there before they say those sorts of things. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Keith,
1: thank you. Thank you.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. listener.